0: You know, to speak to that point, how to experience this enlightenment, this this bliss state, this cosmic consciousness, I ran across this quote, enlightenment is an accident, but some activities make you accident prone. And that, <laughs> I love that. I love it. Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories, so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation
1: we've had to date. We cover science-y things like fascia, anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based sciences. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which let's face it, is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation teaching podcasters that could, aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting but leave your heart print with every step.
0: So today we're talking about Ananda Kosha, the last in our discussion, but as we've talked about before, the koshas are not separated, nor are they ordered. But just for for the sake of conversation, I'll call it the last kosha. And what does that mean? It's the layer of bliss, and unity. Uh, some people talk about it as if it's the soul. It's when everything merges together and all of our layers become one, where we let go of our conditioned beliefs. And the word that kept coming up when I was reading and looking was cosmic consciousness. And oh my gosh, that is a tough rabbit hole to fall into. There is most of what I read, I have to admit, Jerry, was way over my head.
1: But that's that, that happens when we get into this cosmic realm. Um, but what you said was really interesting. So when you talked about Anandamaya Kosha being sort of the union of all, for me, that is a really legit case for starting with the gross and moving to the subtle. Because in order to get to that kind of subtlety, like you said, this cosmic stuff is really, it's intangible and it's really hard to kind of to grasp at in, in any way. And it's practice that leads us there. So to start with the tangible, to start with the physical body and to start with the things that we can, we can see, that we can touch, that we can manage in some way through practice so that we can get to this this blissful, enlightened, you know, I don't want to say ending because every ending is a beginning, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really, really fascinating. And so in terms of the earth, because this is the kosha countdown to earth day, we did Wisdom Sheep last week, which is Vijnanamaya Kosha. And it there's a certain, at least for me, I know we can start anywhere we want, but there is a logic. There is a sort of a beautiful flow from one to the other when we're starting with Anamaya, moving into Pranamaya, Manamaya, Vijnanamaya, and now Anandamaya. So wisdom, which was last week, is something that kind of arises from within. It arises through our experiences of being alive. It arises from teachers that we've had, from community, from all of the things that sort of inform our experience and our understanding of things. And so that kind of feeds right into this idea of bliss, not necessarily being something that we can chase or that we can attain or acquire in a way that we might in other on other layers and other koshas, but something that arises from the wisdom that is the acceptance of things as they are. And there is no better teacher than nature to or this planet to to show us this ways that the earth teaches us to live in bliss and ways that the earth shows us that she lives in bliss and just to kind of start from the anamaya kosha place this like things that we can touch things that we can see this this workable piece The earth teaches us to live in bliss because she reminds us to slow down and take in the natural beauty. It doesn't always happen all at once, but at some point in all of our lives, I'm going to guess we're like, oh, my God, fucking stop and look at that tree or that mountain or that cloud. What what cloud shape is that? She encourages us to live in gratitude for her resources and abundance. You know, that we have everything we have because of nature. Even the things that are all man-made, they had to start somewhere. They had to start in the natural world and all of her resources. She teaches us to respect living living beings, whether they're flora or fauna. She teaches us to live in harmony because we get to see, even within the violence of nature, there is an order. There is a harmony that happens. That So we respect that. She shows us the importance of balance and sustainability you know, without sustainability and balance, we would not have this abundance, these resources that she so generously offers. She shows us to embrace change and to be adaptable to impermanence. I mean, even just as simple as looking at the seasons. And last week, the image that I put on the the show notes and in the the newsletter was the seasons, because the seasons for me was like this this beautiful, very real way of seeing impermanence and non-attachment. So there's that lesson. She reflects our need to take care of ourselves and our physical health. Whatever that means to you. Resilience and perseverance through inevitable changes, that things, shit's gonna happen. It may be man-made, it may, may be nature-made, they may be, you know, seasonal anomalies that are happening, like the fucking, you know, biblical-sized hail that dropped down on April Fool's Day in the Northeast and and created such devastation in the Midwest. And so our Our hearts go out to those who suffered from that. But so those are ways that the earth teaches us to live in bliss and ways that she shows us that she lives in bliss is her abundance of diverse plant and animal life. This shows a blissful existence. The beautiful landscapes, we've got mountains and beaches and forests and and deserts and all different kinds of terrain that we get to interact with. And so that sort of shows a certain innate joy. The atmosphere is conducive to life. She gives us clean air. There's a sign of good health. That goes back to taking care of ourselves, the reflection there. She lives in cycles through the seasons, but also water and carbon and demonstrates a certain balance and harmony with the way that she's able to continue her own cycles. Natural resources. So we've got fresh water and fertile soil for however long we have those. You know, these were provided for us. How are we taking care of that? This goes to sustenance and growth. She shows us, she lives in interconnectedness. How could she not? All of these ecosystems from the, our local communities to the global communities, to those tiniest little ecosystems, all interconnected. We cannot exist without any of these, these things. And even within, you know, things they do, what's the word when they're no longer, they're extinct. Things do go extinct and we adapt and we sort of grow into that. That's a different conversation. So let's just, let's suspend our disbelief on that for a moment she has the ability to heal and to regenerate. So she reforests when we're cutting her shit down, these natural disasters, whether again, man-made or natural. And sometimes it's a combination. It's not an either or. We're in relationship. So in cause and effect, our actions are going to have repercussions. They're going to have consequences. But this kind of shows her resilience and vitality. The existence of diverse cultures and societies with unique customs and traditions. This is evidence of of joy that's found in human connection and community. We need that wonder and awe. You know, ha- I've seen the Northern Lights. I think, Teresa, you've also seen the Northern yeah, Lights. I have, yeah. Um, eclipses, things, these natural wonders that make us go, what? up?" Ah. like, whoa, awe? We talked about that in one of our earlier episodes, how awe has become something other. You know, oh, it's awesome that you did this. No, 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 Northern Lights are awesome. And then just, you know, finally, I'll I'll end with creativity, like the art and music of the world, you know, whether it's natural or human driven, you know, Teresa talks a lot about the bird song, like that is a natural soundscape. That is the soundtrack of our lives. And so if we kind of allow ourselves to be with what is and to be okay with what is, even when it's kind of questionable or crappy. We, there's always the bird song, there's always that flower, there's always the creative process, there's always diversity, there's always these fundamental things. I think it's a beautiful reminder of how bliss is within us, but it also is of us and around us. One of the things that I kept coming up, Anandamaya Bliss,
0: I read over and over again, and I think this is kind of a funny statement since this is a podcast and an audio communication, but what I kept reading over and over again was that this idea of being Ananda to reaching this place of blissful enlightenment is something that can't be talked about. We can't explain it. You actually have to experience it to really conceptualize and go, I get it now. So when we have those moments of pure awe and blissfulness, that's what we're talking about. But just think of a moment. Sherry mentioned so many things that we could see, like in the landscape and the mountain and all these different natural wonders that we can sit in awe of and experience. So think about that as a listener. When have you been in this place of awe and just mesmerized by something you saw and you just sat there kind of wordless. Maybe that, maybe that's the explanation much better than any words that I have, but I am going to move on with some words, even though maybe we cannot fully communicate what bliss is. And this is gonna come from an article that I read that was Conscious Consciousness, Cosmic Consciousness. And I have to tell you, just those words, Confuse me, so it's a very, very deep subject, but it's written by a gentleman named Stephen Taylor and i 'm going to read directly his words. The name of the article is the Wakefulness of Walt Whitman, and I have to admit I haven't read a lot of Walt Whitman, but after reading this article, it is he is definitely on my list so to my knowledge qu- I'm quoting to my knowledge, the first ever psychological study of what I call wake a higher functioning expansive state of being was conducted by a Canadian psychiatrist named Richard M. Burke and published as Cosmic Consciousness, a study of evolution of the human mind in 1901. Oh, I didn't even read the right one, but I'm going to keep going on because this is a good <laughs> this is a good quote too. <laughs> in 1901, Burke gathered 36 examples of people he believed had attained cosmic consciousness, and you will know these words, that's me, including historical figures such as Buddha, Moses, Jesus, Dante, and the 18th century Swedish philosopher, Immanuel uh, Swedenborg, a number and a number of contemporaries, some of whom he knew personally. The main characteristics of cosmic consciousness as identified by Burke are joyfulness, a revelation of the meaning, purpose, and aliveness of the universe, a sense of immortality, a loss of fear of death, and the absence of the concept of sin. And I was like, Ooh. like there's some really fabulous names in there of people that he thought had represented that they came to this place of being blissful in their existence, blissful in how they interacted with the earth, with other humans, whatever teachings based on each person's individual beliefs, whatever teachings you can pull from those amazing list of people who have walked this earth. Coming back to Whitman, though, since I messed up on the last quote. <laughs> I'm coming back to my article because this really spoke to me, which is why I'm so enthused to read more. Whitman lived in a state of heightened awareness. To him, the world was fantastically real, beautiful, and a fascinating place. As Buke writes of him, his favorite occupation seems to be seemed to be strolling or sauntering about outdoors. By himself, looking at the grass, the trees, the flowers, the vistas of life, the varying aspects of the sky, and listening to the birds, the crickets, and the tree frogs, and all the hundreds of natural sounds. It was evident that these things gave him pleasure far beyond what they gave to ordinary people. So for me, I'm thinking, hey, I had a lot in common with Whitman. I guess if we were like, out sauntering
1: together, we might have been uh, souls that would have liked to interact with each other. Absolutely. I think it's kind of presumptuous, though, to say that he had more of an experience than ordinary people. Like, who are the ordinary people he's referring to? I mean, I think we are all ordinary people. And my grandfather used to say, wherever you go, there's going to be someone who's taller than you, someone who's shorter, someone who's smarter, someone who's not as smart, someone who's more beautiful, someone, whatever it was. He said, that makes us all average. You know, and while that's not, I'm going to substitute average with ordinary. That makes us all ordinary. It makes us all sort of meeting each other where we are in that. But I didn't mean to just like, I was kind of triggered by this, you know, more than the ordinary people as if, you know, Whitman certainly elevated by his celebrity, elevated by his talent, elevated by many things. But if we were to look at each individual ordinary, and I'm air quoting ordinary person, there are many different ways we can all be elevated. We just don't always get the recognition for it which is very not, is not at all related to our personal experiences of bliss. Everybody's got their own way to experience
0: it. And through, I mean, look at the list of people that he included in his article. This is not, I mean, maybe they are all ordinary. Everybody's ordinary, but the names that he included are Buddha, Moses, Jesus. (laughs) Right.
1: Well, these are the wisdom teachers that we all know their names. Yes. in, in all of the the classes and trainings and things that I've read around this idea is that we are all closer to enlightenment than we think. You Ooh. know, and that doesn't mean that we're chasing it. It doesn't mean that we're all going to attain it or whatever that is, but that we all think that it's somewhere down the line, that we have to work really hard to get it, that it's, it's this unattain, that down there, like it's time and space become part of the conversation. But actually, You know, it could happen in the snap of a finger. It could happen in a moment of acknowledgement, of recognition. So yeah, like these are the elevated master teachers that we can refer to because there's a certain global language around them. We all know who we're talking about. There were a couple of quotes that I kind of liked around this idea of bliss. And they both come from a website called Bliss. What, when, how? (laughs) like things that are sort of you know reductionist like that like how can we get right to it so quote bliss may arise from human or divine love and may also come from spiritual knowledge and mystical union it is a state of joy and a sign that a person's experience is true and legitimate also two words that we can't assign to others that just has to true and legitimate who am I to say but this is interesting also says that bliss refers to a state of ecstatic happiness, a perfect and exalted state of joy and love. It also refers to a state of contentment, santosha, oblivious to any problems or suffering. So, you know, that piece also kind of ties into this, this very fine line of spiritual bypassing. So if we're going to get to a state of contentment that is oblivious to any problems or suffering, then we have to kind of like, how do we interact with that world in a way that doesn't create more suffering or problems for others? (laughs) You know, that we're still a part of the world. Like, I don't know, I'm not enlightened. So maybe all my words trying to figure this shit out are not at all appropriate to the actual experience of enlightenment. You have to talk to someone who's actually enlightened to find that out.
0: You know, to speak to that point, how to experience this enlightenment, this this bliss state, this cosmic consciousness, I ran across this quote, enlightenment is an accident, but some activities make you accident prone. And that, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Say it again. Say it again. Okay. Enlightenment is an accident, but some activities can make you accident prone. And that is attributed to a teacher we've talked about before, which was Krishna Krishnamacharya. And what it implies is that spiritual enlightenment is, is not something that you can bring, a, bring to yourself through an act of will. You can wash your hair or memorize a poem. It doesn't matter. These things you can do, but you can't enlighten yourself. If enlightenment enlightenment dawns, source and cause will always be mysterious, right? That sometimes we just experience but what the what the what the author is really talking about in the article that makes us accident prone is something that you and I discuss a lot and that is what are our practices how much you know do we have practices of you know meditation or sit spot hanging out in nature you know moving our body to learn it more maybe it isn't even yoga practices specifically maybe it's the practice of hiking in nature so that we can observe all of those things that you mentioned earlier the beautiful mountain the amazing waterfall or a few years ago when we had the total eclipse and uh I was in Wyoming to watch it because family members live in Casper Wyoming and that was kind of one of those core um beautiful and most direct visual experiences of the the eclipse and it was it was It took my breath away in that everything changed color. Like there was just such a visual experience during that eclipse. And everybody talked about it as all the colors that we knew of nature had somehow changed into something that I hadn't seen before. So maybe that was one of those moments of bliss where you can I could watch the green grass and the blue of the sky and the colors, even of the clothing that the people that I was with were wearing, it all changed into this different
1: set of hues of color that all seemed brand new. Like nature will give you that experience. When you can have that experience simply by being and witnessing, that's when the seer and the scene become one. That's that, at least in my estimation, that getting really super close, if not right on top of that feeling of bliss. I think, you know, when we talk about blissful states, you know, and I was, I tended when I was teaching public classes, I would dream my classes. I would wake up with a a sort of a remnant of a dream of a peak pose or a theme or something that I wanted to build my class around. And what's happened is since I've stopped teaching public classes and we've started doing this, Similar things have been happening on the days that we're recording. And so like this idea of, you know, waking up with a thought about, you know, the bliss. And as I was saying that, I totally lost the thing that I had dreamed and I can't find uh, the note in that. But this, yeah. So you know what? Fuck me. Sherry's <laughs> sure, state of it? ultimate bliss. you oh let God, your mind no. be clear. <laughs> like, oh, 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 here it was that when I was waking up thinking about when are times when I don't feel blissful, when I don't feel, when I'm feeling agitated, what is the opposite experience of that union of all of these things coming together? And it's when I'm not in alignment. And the same is true with wisdom. I can't be in wisdom and out of alignment with my values, my my speech and my body and my mind. Like I have to take a look at, am I still operating from integrity? You know, don't coming back to... All
0: of the things that we get to experience and, and how do we notice that, that time of bliss. When, after I talked about the eclipse while you were chatting, I don't remember which, which part triggered this thought, but what I really started to wonder about was I was in a backyard with probably 25 people experiencing that eclipse all at the same time. And after I talked about my experience of noticing all the different colors, I remembered another part of that. As the eclipse was happening, this group of people fell silent. Like there was chatter like, oh, it's coming. And, you know, kind of the party of the waiting for this event to happen. But when it did, everybody fell silent and just experienced it in their own way. And. While you were talking, I was wondering, like was that that one of those rare moments where a whole group of people experienced this blissful we'll call it enlightenment or cosmic consciousness, or just oh, that's a really awesome experience, whatever it was, everybody together shared the same experience. There was so much awe that a huge crowd of people became silent until the experience was over and Then a discussion ensued about the similarities of the experience, the color, the quietness that fell over the, at least that part of the earth, the quietness that happened, not only with our voice, but all of the earth sounds. There didn't appear, or I didn't notice, it could have been my state, I didn't notice birds or crickets or wind or any of those subtle sounds that you hear in nature that sometimes are just in the background and we don't really pay attention to. But as I came out of it, I was like, the earth fell silent in my experience. And so that uh, is probably the co- closest thing I will ever come to to understand cosmic consciousness <laughs> or maybe the experience of bliss. But it led to the question, like, how do we increase are chances of being accident prone. How do I increase my ability to feel that sensation of prone? If I can't chase it and I can't look for it, I have to be surprised when it shows up. What are the parameters that I can bring into my life that will maybe make me a little bit more accident prone to fall into moments of bliss much more regularly? If anybody has an answer, please let me know.
1: But <laughs> well, I think, you know, think about the times when you've had that, like you were explaining with the eclipse. And you also, in the last couple of times ago, we talking about the orange. Like we can all experience the sweetness, but our experience of sweetness will be different from each other's and language will never be able to fully um, communicate our individual experiences. So while the cosmic conscious silence and experience of unity and community unity unity's in there is absolutely real. the The individual experiences may differ and may not ever come to a consensus of language that will will be able to do that. But that said, you know this idea of of bliss, of 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 unity, of cosmic consciousness is not like you said not something that we can chase or or but we can we can create the causes and conditions that allow us to further our way down this path. And that's what all of these spiritual traditions really speak to. And so, you know, when Susanna was on our, in our first season, and she said the type of yoga that she practices is not about chasing enlightenment. That's not about, it's, it's not about that. But even when something is not about something that doesn't preclude its possibility for showing up in existence. So I know I don't wake up every day thinking, I want to be enlightened today. I don't wake up thinking, what what do I need to do in order to, to, to be in this blissful state? I feel like I have a sort of a natural blissful state as it is. I kind of, you were talking the other day, someone once said to me, are you always happy? Why are you always happy? Are you always happy? And my first response was, fuck no, who's always happy? Like that's, I'm human. And then I sat with it and I thought, That's an interesting question. That was sort of a a response, a reaction that I had to the question. But then when I really sat with it, I thought I am always happy. Doesn't mean I don't also have grief and frustration and anger and like a fuck you-ness and edge. But what it means is that my baseline is happy. I don't wake up feeling like life has just happened to me. I don't wake up feeling resentment. I wake up with a happiness, with a sort of a baseline of it. Now it goes up and down. It doesn't always meet that, that that sort of harmony, but that's only to say that I'm not interested necessarily in what that is down the road, but what can I do today that is going to blur the lines of duality? What can I do today that is going to make the world a little bit better? What can I do today that will make my children smile and give them a giggle? Like The small things that that are just about everyday existence and finding meaning, and that to me is almost more important than living in a blissful state. Um, maybe it's because I I have a, a baseline of happiness that I don't feel that it's deficient. I don't feel like I need more of it. That I have enough. But that's also like I'm not enlightened, so I don't know what it's like. I did have one experience in a shavasana years ago where I did feel like I almost transcended my body, but there was this. There was no longer self and not self. There was no longer body and space and time. It was just what was. And it was such a small glimpse. And part of me is really, at least immediately after, I was like, ooh, I want that again. I want to do that again. Never happened again. So maybe I have to just be content. I have to find Santosha contentment with having glimpsed that little piece in that moment of my life. Um, uh, Contentment came up a lot in relationship with bliss,
0: right? Being okay with how things are in your life, in your world, where you are with your job today, whatever it is that are things that are in transition, can we also balance that out with being content with lifestyle? And, you know, in the same way that somebody asked you, you know, are you always happy? People will say to me, because I'm viewed as being Quiet and very yin like, and you know, really experiencing nature and this softer side that many people see. Uh, you know, my social feeds are filled with pictures of sunsets or you know, birds on the water things that really capture my attention. Like, oh, I want to be like you are, I want to be able to have the personality like you have. And you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable when people will say something like that because. I don't know why. I just feel uncomfortable because I'm really what I want to say in response is, first of all, you want to be who you are. You want to be the person that you are. And maybe their expression is a little bit off in what they're actually trying to say because how I'm going to interpret it is I would like to develop more practices or more ways of finding calm in my life or finding contentment in my life rather than I want to be like you are so I'm going to draw a line between those two things but with all of that said sometimes we are viewed from outside based on the limited view of of how I get to interact with other people people see my social posts of sunsets or me sitting in my kayak or whatever it is. The Instagram reality. Yes, that is not my entire life. Sometimes I'm a bitch and sometimes I'm just angry or sad or I've lost my attachment to my contentment and nothing seems to fit in my life. I'm just as regular as the people who are like, oh, I want to live your Instagram life and be close to it. As a closing to that, I've leaned into my practices more and more and more over the years. And so that's the piece of information that I can share. I'm not saying I'm enlightened or I'm always blissful. What I am saying is that if there are things that I want, and that is to have calm and peace in my life, then practices of calm and peace are an important part of it. Because I can't be angry all the time without a way to. Transition to experience that. And anger is something that needs to be experienced. Sad. I'm not saying any of those things that I mentioned are things that I'm trying to get rid of in my life because I certainly am not. They are a balance to those moments of bliss. Everything has two sides to it. And, but my practices, when I get into those states and go, oh, it's time to lean into my practice, and I am human, sometimes I just, don't lean into it, and maybe I lose my temper or some other things because I forget to take that moment.
1: And you're human, breathe.
0: and I'm human, human, human animal, I'm human. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. But there are other times where I can feel what's welling up inside me, and say, I need to go out for a walk. I need to stop and take a breath. I need to use one of my other mantra practices, or sit with a mudra for a little bit, or you know, for a while. I loved punching a punching bag. That is also a really great way to kind of get rid of too much energy that's in inside. So I guess the answer of is what are the practices that can be adopted that will help us to feel contentment and that may open the door to experience and notice those moments of bliss. When I was waiting for us to come on this morning, I looked through some of my books and I came up. I wanted to find a mudra that that I could help to like focus and prepare for the conversation. And so, from Joseph LePage's book of mudras that I have used before in here, I can, I found the mudra for Ananda Mayakosha, and so I practiced with it. It was Tansi Mudra, H A N C I Mudra and it's interpreted as the gesture of the inner smile. And it's so interesting because when I said I have this mudra, if you don't, you're not seeing this, or you can go over to the YouTube and watch it, Sherry got a big smile on her face. (laughs) Or I even said the gesture of the inner smile. (laughs) But it's kind of interesting because I knew that the interpretation was the gesture of the inner smile. And so I guess that focused my mind to notice because a lot of times when I sit in meditation, it's kind of with like a neutral face, but I kept finding myself smiling while I sat here for five minutes holding this mudra. So I'm gonna share it with all of you and see how you interact with it. So this is simple. I am gonna show it. So if you do wanna see it, you can go over to the YouTube channel, but we're gonna take the first three fingers, right? the index finger, the middle finger, and the ring finger. And just let the tips of the finger touch the tip of the thumb. So if you look down, you'd probably see that they make a little circle. And then the pinky just rests outward. And I like to bring my arms into the side of my body so that like, my forearms kind of sit on the crest of my hip. It just gives a nice place for it to be. Or you can also rest your hands on on your legs, on your knees, so that you don't have to fold them up. And then just experience. Sit and breathe and notice if you smile. Or whatever other experience that you personally have with holding your mudra. And a mudra practice is one that I really love. Sometimes my mudras are organic and I just find myself in a hand gesture that I don't know what the name of it is, and others, I choose something specific. So hansi Mudra,
1: the gesture of the inner smile, or just pure bliss. You can sit with this mudra as long as you like, but because we are sort of time constrained, I'm going to move into a very brief practice. I may have mentioned it at some other point, I don't know, but it comes from something called Tibetan Heart Yoga whose originator, I don't even remember her name. I, I, it's, I, there is an originator. It's not an ancient practice. But what I took from when I learned it uh, that I still do and that I had taught in my public classes was OM AH HUM. And it's coming into prayer pose, taking your thumbs to your third eye, saying OM, bringing your fingers to your mouth so your thumbs are sort of at your throat AH, and then bringing your a prayer hands to your heart and saying HUM. Om Ah Hung. And the reason I thought about this, and you can do it out loud to yourself as you're doing a sun salutation and folding forward, you can bring it in but because it started this conversation about integrity and living in alignment, and that being sort of a precursor to at least experiencing bliss on some level. And this Om represents body, Ah represents speech, and Hung represents mind so body speech and mind and when mm-hmm. you do this and when i do it and i usually do it as part of a sun salutation i i work to look at the alignment of my body speech and mind am i operating from a place where they are in harmony and in harmony doesn't mean that they're in a straight line it means that they're working together in integrity so i want to offer that om ah HUNG. third eye mouth and throat heart all in prayer hands and if you want to go in different directions you can make that up i you know people make up all sorts of stuff and there is there are lineages that go back millennia that you know different practices have been edited out because they just didn't work over time and those things that survived are fucking gold they're gems and they should be revered as such and then more modern techniques and practices and activities you know for some people the word practice is a trigger it's like oh fucking it's not my thing call it an activity call it something just would call it something else but whatever you're doing add that extra bit of mindfulness, that going in, that inter interception, what's going on inside of you, you know, is whatever. So that's what I have to offer today. Bliss, you know, what is your experience of bliss? When have you touched on it? When have you experienced even just a moment of, of dissolution, of duality, of being a part of things without being apart from them? And that sounds like a good time to say
0: until next time. Later, babe. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for reading, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative, live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up.
1: Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.